If you've got a Bible, you can uh, open it and through it with me throughout the morning. We're not going to be in one specific passage as we have uh, begun a, a series through uh, the Apostles' Creed using those lines to point us back to Scripture. Uh, but at some point, I hope to get to Isaiah 40. Um, that would be a longer passage that I'll read later um, that you could have your finger in. Hebrews 11.6, as Pastor Ed read, would be another uh, good one. I'm thankful to get to consider this line of the, the Apostles' Creed this morning. God the Father Almighty. The statement, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I'm thankful to Graham picking songs that have already led us to sing to God as our Heavenly Father, even as Jesus referenced uh, God as His Father in the Lord's Prayer uh, that we just uh, got a chance to sing. It was just a sweet moment as a family. We've been um, teaching the youngest to know the Lord's Prayer in our family worship time, and I was kind of just eyeballing just to see if he realized this was the, the Lord's Prayer, and then all of a sudden the light come on, like, oh. And he like looked and gave me a wink, you know. And to, to have those moments together with the church is just a sweet, sweet thing to, to be a part of. I, I hope and pray for many more of those for my family, for your family, uh, as we pray God's Word, sing God's Word, preach God's Word, and, and aim to live God's Word out as, as much as possible. Uh, this, uh, this is a, a neat series in that uh, we're considering this 2,000-year-old creed, but I tried to make the, the note last week that it's not my hope to preach the creed, for the creed has no power in and of itself. It has no inspiration from God on high. It is, uh, has no authority uh, of its own. It is not sufficient uh, in its own. But the creed is a great summary of the truths and doctrines of God's Word. It's a helpful uh, summary. It's a catechism of sorts, teaching us um, and, and giving us words to be able to tell others who we believe God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who we are as His church. Uh, and that's what we're aiming to do. We're aiming to use this creed as a springboard back into God's Word and to see what God's Word says about Himself. I thought it might be helpful just to read uh, another one of our statements of faith. If, if we hold fast to the Apostles' Creed, the Creed tells us everything that one must believe to be a Christian, but it doesn't tell us everything we believe as Christians. And so we have other statements of faith that... Um, summarize in a, God's Word in a little bit larger sense. One of those confessions that we hold to as a, a church, you as members have affirmed, is the New Hampshire Confession of 1853. And Article 1 says this, just so that we might remember that uh, it is God's Word that, is, that we remain steadfast towards, not this creed. Listen to Article 1. It says, We believe that the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. 
that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. So we use the creed as a helpful summary, but it points us back to uh, God and His Word and the Scriptures. And there what we ought to test even this creed and other statements of faith by. Last week we looked at just the, the, the first few words, I believe in. And we said that it was uh, totally different to believe something than it is to believe in something. That you can believe a chair will hold you, but until you believe in that chair and sit in it, you have yet to put your faith and trust in it. And the same is true about God. Many people believe that there is a God and that He might be almighty even. Um, but they have yet to believe in God, to put their faith and trust in Him, to be their Father, to, for His Son to be their Savior, and for, their, for His Holy Spirit to be their Helper. And so, just taking those first few words, we considered the difference between just believing facts to be true uh, and, and believing in those facts through faith and living that faith out in trust and obedience to the Lord. This morning we're going to be looking at the rest of that first line, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we're going to be uh, considering what it, what it means when we say that we believe in God singularly, that we believe in Him as Father and what does it mean that He is Almighty? And when you hear that, that phrase, God the Father, um, some of you may come from backgrounds where you had something like a godparent. Uh, and you had a godfather and a godmother who were chosen by maybe your parents to um, look after you, to um, invest in you, or something like that. Uh, early on in your life, maybe even at uh, a religious baptism or something like that, or uh, maybe your mind goes a wholly different direction uh, to a movie I've still never seen, but The Godfather. Uh, and you think of those crime bosses of Vito and Michael and passing on his heritage to, to the other. When you hear that phrase, God the Father Almighty, maybe your mind goes to your father. Uh, or maybe your lack of father. And, and in a room even this size, we can have a, a ton of different ideas of what fatherhood, of what, what it means to be almighty, might mean. And, and we may pull those from this part of life, this part of life, this part of life, either because of a, a bad example, a lack of example, a worldly example, or what may you... But we, again, want to go back to God's Word to let God's Word define what we mean when we say God, what we mean when we say Father, what we mean when we say Almighty. And so we need to set aside, even as good as some of our 
earthly fathers were, they were imperfect, insufficient, uh, and we needed a heavenly father. That's what all good fathers do. They point their children to a better father, a heavenly father. Um, Even if you had a lack of a godly father in your life, you have God who has offered himself as a heavenly perfect father to you. And so we want to consider God's Word regarding those things. And and one of the things you might note, and and for your uh, benefit, we have printed a bookmark for you. Uh, On one side, it's got just some good diagnostic questions there for you to be able to consider yourself um, or to be able to use as an evangelistic tool. Um, Feel free to take plenty more with you. Uh, to be able to use at work or at school or on your walks or throughout the week to give to somebody to, to ask, who do you believe that God is? What do Christians believe about God? Um, but then the creed is there on the back for just a very nice flip upside down, not turn around sideways for your pleasure. That was on purpose. Not true. Uh, One of the things you'll notice, though, as you read through that creed is different types of lines. Some of the lines will say who God is. Some of the lines will say what God has done. So you take the first line, I believe in God the Father. That's who He is. Second line, maker of heaven and earth. That's what He's done. Uh, You'll see the same thing in regards to God the Son, who God is the Son is, Jesus Christ, and what He has done, died and risen from the dead. You'll see those kinds of things throughout that. Well, this is a who God is line. This is the, a line that's showing us uh, His character. Uh, this is showing us the type of person that He is, uh, even still getting at some of what He's done by uh, those definitive characteristics of that. But let's consider just that first word, the word God. I believe in God. Even that one word being singular in nature is differentiating us as Christians from a host of other religions in the world. We don't believe in many gods. We believe in one true and living God. And so we say in in this creed as a summary of what God's Word says that we believe in God, not God's. That is important. That is distinctive. And that is what uh, this creed helps do. It helps distinguish Christians from those who hold another religious affiliation, whether it be Hindus with multiple gods or or whether... um, whether it be someone else uh, who think that when we say we believe in one God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they think that we're meaning we actually believe in three gods. But this creed, as a summary of Trinitarian Christian belief, is saying from the very beginning, from the very outset, that there is one God. He has revealed Himself to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're each 
distinct from one another. God the Father is not God the Son. And God the Son is not the, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. And yet they are one. Uh, they've rev- God has revealed himself uh, to us in three persons. And each of them has a distinct role in the creation of the world, uh, their involvement in sustaining the world, but also their salvation of sinners in the midst of this world. And so from the very beginning, we have this great uh, Trinitarian uh, description of God being one. But this isn't just something that's uh, true of New Testament Christianity. This was true of the Jews' belief of who God was in the Old Testament. Uh, One of their creeds, if you will, would have come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. From the very beginning, they saw God as one, even as God had promised to send His Messiah, His Son, His Savior, whom we would know as Jesus Christ uh, in the end. God revealed Himself as, as one, and there was a, an important understanding of that from the very beginning, even among the Jews. Uh, and, and yet, while Jews and Muslims might be able to agree with this statement on its surface, I believe in God the Father Almighty, once they realize what we would go on to say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, proceeded from the Father, we will have differentiated ourselves even from Jews and Muslims. Since Jews, for the most part, Uh, have yet to believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament when he would send a Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. We've differentiated ourselves from Muslims as well in that they do not believe that Jesus is God's one and only Son, God himself. And so we have, even in just that one word, that singular word, God, differentiated ourselves as Pastor Ed read and, and prayed this morning from Hebrews 11.6, the writer of Hebrews, to the Jews, those, many who had believed that Jesus was the Christ and some who hadn't. He makes it abundantly clear in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, without belief, if you will, as we say in the creed, I believe in God the Father, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hear that. Hear that this morning, that among all the attempts that, that we as mankind have to aim to please God, whether it was before you came to faith in Jesus or still even to this day, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. God's Word, not a creed, not something I'm telling you, but God's Word says that it is impossible to please Him apart from faith. That's so important. Christianity is a, a, a religion of faith, not a religion of works, which is why the creed is state, stating our faith, not what we do to be able to earn His favor. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You see, the author of Hebrews is making it abundantly clear that he believes something about God and that his belief leads him to live in a certain way, to draw near and to seek by faith the Lord who has made the heavens and the earth, sent His one and only Son, given us His Word, sent His Spirit to those who have believed in Him. Speaking of confessions of faith, I wanted to bring in Article 2 of that same New Hampshire confession when it speaks about God. It, it summarizes so well God's Trinitarian nature. Consider Article 2 of the New Hampshire Confession. We believe that there is one and only one living and true God, an infinite, intelligent Spirit whose name is Jehovah or Yahweh, the Maker and Supreme Ruler of heaven and earth, as we'll look at next week, inexpressibly glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. That in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. This is so important for us to see. And one of the things you'll note that throughout the Bible, um, the biblical writers inspired by God the Holy Spirit to write these things down, they're not arguing that God is one and that there is only one God. They're simply telling us. It's not something that's up for debate, and it's not something to be discussed. It's something to respond in worship to. And that's what our response ought to be after this morning. When we consider who God is, the main right response to these truths is worship. And so we'll stand to sing together and praise God for who He is. Uh, as one way that we might worship the Lord. But we're going to leave this place commissioned and sent out to be the church in the world uh, to worship the Lord as the writer of Hebrews said to do. Draw near and seek Him. We'll worship as we uh, fight temptation and aim to be obedient to the rest of God's Word. We'll worship the Lord as we go to school and work and take our walk this afternoon, after you get out of your lazy boy recliner chair from your nap, as Casey said, to go and walk in the neighborhood, we'll worship as we have the opportunity to hand out one of those Apostles' Creed and ask someone what they believe about God, maybe later this week. There's so many ways that we ought to worship the Lord for who He is and for what He's done. That is the main right response when we consider a line like this in, in the Apostles' Creed. That's God. Singular God. One true and living God. We believe that as Christians. We also believe that God is Father. This, again, is not something that was uh, thought up in the New Testament that, that Christians have um, 
stated as their doctrine. This was true in the Old Testament uh, as well. God revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush as Yahweh. I am who I am. God revealed his name to him in that moment. And, And later on in Exodus 34, his name described his character, that he was steadfast, um, loving, uh, that, that his love would never end for God's people. And yet the fatherhood of God is, is something that's also on display throughout the Old Testament. God is father to his people and also father to the fatherless. Consider Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Note though that Malachi is speaking to God's people when he says, Have we not one Father? He's speaking to God's people, not of the entire world itself. And yet, though they had one God who had revealed Himself in one way as Father, they had acted faithless towards Him and towards one another. How true are Malachi's words, not only of God's people in the Old Testament, before God remained silent for 400 years before sending His one and only Son, but at times very descriptive of us as well who have believed in God the Father and have been saved through God the Son and His death and resurrection, have been given God's very presence with us in the Holy Spirit and yet have acted faithless. Though we may say with our lips, I believe in God the Father Almighty, our actions later this afternoon or later this week may not represent that. That kind of a Scripture is a challenge to us as well. But God was not only Father to God's people in the Old Testament. Um, God revealed Himself as Father to God the Son in the Trinity as well. Consider one of the Scriptures uh, we have read recently in our Bible reading plan in Luke chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. God the Son, Jesus Christ... Um, describes this relationship he has with the Heavenly Father in the Trinity. Luke chapter 10.21 says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Note, God the Son speaking, the Holy Spirit present, uh, and speaking about God the Father. The Trinity is present even here. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We, the writer of Hebrews, would open his letter to God's people 
saying that God has spoken and in many times and in many places through prophets and through his word and through signs and wonders, but now he has revealed himself most clearly, most uniquely in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it abundantly clear that God was revealing who he was through the Son and only to those whom the Son would reveal who the Father was. And so we see even in Jesus' words uh, uh, an understanding of the Trinity, the Godhead, three in one, God the Father and the Holy Spirit present. And yet we have to uh, consider that not only is Jesus seen as God's Son, but individuals in the New Testament are referred to as uh, God's children, God's sons and God's daughters. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive Him, that is Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so from the outset of the Gospel of John, where John shows the supremacy and divinity and deity of Jesus, uh, he says that those who believe in this Jesus have the right to become children of God. They have the right to call God their Father, just like Jesus has the right to call God His Father we have entered into an adoptive relationship through faith in Jesus Christ with God as our Father. And this is true of all who, as John says, have received Him and have believed in His name. But I want to make it abundantly clear that this is not true of the entire world. Even though much of the world um, would believe in some sense that God is their Father. Or if you were to go to a a funeral, even though the person did not say that they believed, did not act like they believed, there would likely be some sort of reference to, oh, they're in a better place with their Heavenly Father. Uh, This is true of those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. The universal fatherhood of God is something that uh, a, a Christian, not, not, I'm not even saying a Christian denomination, just uh, a cult of Unitarianism or Universalist would believe that God is Father to everyone. He's made everyone, therefore He's Father to everyone. But that's just not how the Bible portrays God's fatherhood to mankind. He is Father to His people in the Old Testament, And he's father to his children who have come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. And we need to make sure that we understand that. That you can call God your father this morning if you've drawn near to him. If you've sought him through faith in his one and only son who died and rose from the dead for you. And so let's remember that. Let's remember how the Lord portrays himself. Jesus, as we sang earlier this morning, showed us uh, this aspect of God as our Father when His disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And when Jesus 
taught them how to pray, he said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Jesus didn't say, when you pray, say, my Father, Jesus' Father in heaven. But no, Jesus' Father is also our Father for those of us who have believed in Him and received Him. And so we pray as Christians, as God's children, as God's sons and adopted sons and daughters in His family, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be Your name. We praise Him and we worship Him. Or Jesus, when He prayed over His disciples just before His crucifixion, He said to them, I'm ascending to My Father and Your Father, to My God and Your God. Paul understood this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Why? To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We've been adopted by God through Jesus' death and resurrection and faith in Him. And it's to His praise, to His honor, our response to belief in God as our Father is worship. It's praise, it's honor, it's glory, it's, it's faith, it's obedience. It's walking in a way worthy of our calling. And so we come to Him. Uh, what, what does this mean for you? Uh, as a Christian this week in considering God as your Father? Uh, yeah, that's great in our heads and in our minds, and it's great for a doctrinal statement, but what is this going to mean for you later this week? Well, I, again, think that our Bible reading plan has helped us even this week. Later in our readings through the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, it says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Consider verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Christian, consider this week when you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're tired, when you're weary, when you're tempted, when you're needing. What does it mean to you that God is your Father? It means that you can come to Him like you would hopefully be able to come to your earthly father and ask and seek and knock and even more abundantly than your earthly father did or 
ever could do would give you help in those times of need. The greatest need that you have is the help of the Holy Spirit in any of those moments. More than any physical sustenance or any um, relational sustenance or whatever it is. So this week, as you're repeatedly saying or memorizing the Apostles' Creed, and that one line, I believe in God the Father Almighty, what ought you to do? Yes, you ought to worship and praise, but you ought to come to Him, ask of Him, seek Him, draw near to Him, knowing as Jesus, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, um, said that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heaven, heavenly lights. Everything you have right now and everything you will receive, including the Holy Spirit, is from the Lord Himself. It is a gift. It's God's grace to you. You didn't earn it and you don't deserve it. And yet you've been given it. So come to Him. Ask of Him. Seek of Him. Trust Him in those moments. Knowing, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, that He is able to do abundantly more than all you ask or think according to the power, the almighty nature, if you will, that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why would you not come to God who is your heavenly Father and ask, seek, knock, worship, honor, and praise. The last part of the, the line of this creed is the fact that God is almighty. Something that is not just repeated once or said once in the creed, but is actually repeated twice in the creed, which shows us the importance of this characteristic of who God is. As it will say later on, uh, that, that Jesus was raised by the power of uh, God the Almighty later on in the creed. God, why should we use or why did the uh, early church use this word or this characteristic to describe God? Why not omniscient? Uh, why not omnipresent? Uh, why not love? God the Father, love. Why did they choose Almighty in this passage? Well, earlier in the biblical narrative, we see this word first appear in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, where God appears to Abram at the age of 99 and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. This was God's revelation of himself to Abram uh, at this time in the biblical narrative, in the biblical history, that God is God Almighty. It's one of the earliest revelations of himself. It wasn't until later, as I mentioned earlier, in Moses' life at the burning bush when God not only revealed Himself as Almighty, but revealed His name. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 says, I am the Lord. 
Verse 3 says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And so why do we refer to God as Almighty here? Likely because it's one of the first ways he revealed himself uh, early on to Abram, who is the father of our faith, according to Hebrews. And so we call him as he has revealed himself. If you remember from our previous study in the book of Ruth, Naomi understood that God was Almighty when she returned from Moab back to Bethlehem, having gone away with a husband and sons, had come back empty without husband or without sons. And she said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which meant bitter, for the Almighty, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Naomi understood that God was Almighty. She called Him such. She submitted to His will as such. Paul understands that God is Almighty. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 6, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. When we say God is Almighty, we're saying He's sovereign. We're saying that He has all might and all power and that he can do anything he wants consider psalm 135 verse 6 whatever the lord pleases he does in heaven and on earth in the seas and all the deep whatever the lord pleases he does he can do anything he wants or psalm 115 verse 3 our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. And so I say that He can do anything He wants rather than anything. Or rather than saying God can do everything. Because there are certain things that God can't do and that God won't do. Including the silly proverbial question, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up. There are certain things that God can't do and won't do because they are contrary to who he is in character. He is holy and righteous and blameless. And if he sinned, he would not be God. And so there are things that God can't do and that God won't do because of who he is. He is almighty. He has all power. And He will do anything He wants. He will do everything that pleases Him. Everything that glorifies Him. Everything that honors Him. And He'll do all that He says. Not only does Almighty mean that He'll do anything that He wants, He'll do everything that He says. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of man that He should change His not." change his mind has he not said and will he not do it has he not spoken and will he not fulfill it part of the the characteristic of God being almighty means that he will do everything that he says that's not only true 
of all of the promises of the Old Testament that came true in the midst of the Old Testament, but it's true of the promises in the Old Testament that came true in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The promise that God would send His Son to crush the head of Satan. That God would send His Son to become our Savior. God would do all of those things. He will do everything that He has said. It even means all of the things that He has said and has yet to do. He will make good on His promises. He will do everything that He has said. He's almighty. He can and He will. It also means that He can't be outdone. With God as Almighty, none of His creation can keep Him from doing what He intends since He's Almighty. Which means that no matter how hard we try, we can't outwork God. We can't save ourselves, and we can't unsave ourselves. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God has all power to save This is so clearly shown when He is the one who causes us to be born again and brings us from death to life. Consider John 15, 16. Jesus says, You did not choose Me. You did not choose Me, Jesus says, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. He is almighty. He is the author and perfecter of salvation. And what He has set out to accomplish, He will accomplish. We chose Him in this life, but it was only because He chose us before we were ever born. Even C.S. Lewis in his great Chronicles of Narnia made this known with Aslan and I think Lucy in uh, the, the silver chair where Aslan says to Lucy, you would not have called to me unless I have been calling you. This is part of the aspect, the biblical uh, truth about God being God Almighty. But when we say that, then people will also ask the question, well, if God is Almighty, then why doesn't He do something about all of the evil that's in our world? If God is really Almighty, He can do anything He wants, and He's not doing something about the evil, then He he must want the evil. Then that makes God the author of evil. And and it just snowballs on top of there, that kind of question. But the truth is, is that he can put a stop to evil. And, and he, if he did, right now in this instant, he would have to wipe the entire world. Not just the evil things other people do, but the evil that we do. The evil that's in the hearts of those of us who have asked that very question and in the hearts of those who are asking that question right now in our day and age. The truth is, is that God is gracious and He is patient, waiting for some to be saved and doing plenty of good in the midst of all of the evil that's around us and is in fact making a, preparing a new heavens and a new earth where, where there will be no evil, 
No sin, no disease, no hurricane disaster in the Caribbean like was going on this weekend. None of that will happen in the end. He is almighty. He is doing a work. We just can't see his hand at work all the time. We need to let him be God and not us. Not question him, but trust him in the midst of all that he is doing. It's really easy to, though, to say that God is almighty for a people who are for the most part, and this is true of our church, it's true of our congregation, it's true of most churches and most congregations in America. It's really easy to say God is almighty when uh, we have jobs, when our bank account's full, uh, when we have friends, when our health is doing well. It's easy to to declare and to praise and to sing and to raise our hands and say, you're God Almighty. It's a whole different thing to say and trust and believe and obey God Almighty when you don't have those things. When some of those things have been taken away from you. Um, When the reality is, is that much of the holy little c Catholic universal church that we'll look at later in the creed is experiencing suffering, persecution, lack and need of just the basic elements of life, much less the comforts that we have here in this life. It's a whole different thing for them to say, I believe that God is almighty, when a farmer's literally waiting on the rain to provide the crop that they'll eat and sell in the market. It's a whole different thing for Christians around the world who are suffering for their faith, imprisoned, kicked out of their families because they say, I believe God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And they're removed from their family, and yet in that moment, they have to actually believe that God is Almighty, that even if their earthly father's taken from them, or their life is taken from them, they still believe He's Almighty, able to raise them from the dead one day to spend eternity with Him in heaven. So we need to help ourselves by grasping that a little bit, to consider what it, what it means for God to be Almighty. And this week, in past several weeks, in fact, and again, in our church Bible reading plan, three times this morning, an encouragement to be reading with us as a church, preparing for the Apostles' Creed, knowing this line was coming. The Lord just brought an awareness to my mind how many times in the book of Job, Job and his friends refer to God as Almighty. In fact, the Bible, I started pressing in because I started underlining Almighty's. And then I was like, it's here so much. I just want to go, I just want to see. How many times does the Bible speak of God as Almighty? 59 times uh, speaks of God as Almighty. 31 times is in the book of Job. 31 times. Job, who at one point in his life had everything. Healthy family, wife, kids, homes, 
land, animals, riches, and yet all of that was taken away. And he was able to continue to say, God is almighty. God is almighty. Even though he has given, he has also taken away because he is almighty. I joked with Joy this week that at times, you know, when you're watching a cooking show and a chef makes something and they put all the ingredients in and then they eat it and they just brag. They just eat that first bite and they're like, mm, so good and the crunch and the flavor. And they just like brag about the cooking that they just did in front of worldwide television. I said, preachers just can't do that. You can't like finish a sermon and be like, man, that was good. I mean, did you hear that? That was just, nevertheless, I can say that when I'm going to point something out that is so good in God's word that it is just amazing. I want you to hear the almighty characteristics of God in the book of Job. Hold on to your horses because it, it defines God in such an amazing way. Consider the book of Job's testimony of God the Almighty. It notes the discipline of the Almighty, the arrows of the Almighty, the fear of the Almighty, the justice of the Almighty, the mercy of the Almighty, the limitlessness of the Almighty, the wrath of the Almighty, the pleasure of the Almighty, return to the Almighty, or the return of the Almighty, the treasure of the Almighty, the terror of the Almighty, the judgment of the Almighty, the hand of the Almighty, the heritage of the Almighty, the presence of the Almighty, the portion of the Almighty, the answer from the Almighty, and the breath of the Almighty. That's who God is. What will the Almighty do? The testimony of Job says that the Almighty will, do not, will not do wrong. The Almighty will not do wickedness. The Almighty will not pervert justice. The Almighty will not regard it. The Almighty will not violate so how are we to respond to this God who is almighty and who displays his almighty nature in those ways? The testimony of Job says to seek the almighty, find the almighty, plead with the almighty, don't contend with the almighty, despise not the almighty, the discipline of the almighty, fear the almighty, be blameless before the almighty. Serve the Almighty. Delight yourself in the Almighty. Take pleasure in the Almighty. Treasure the Almighty. Call upon the Almighty. Speak to the Almighty. Find life and breath in the Almighty. Receive from the Almighty. Be with the Almighty. Do not conceal the Almighty. And teach of the Almighty. This is what we are to do in response to who our God is. He is singular in nature. He is one, the true and living God. He is Father, our Heavenly Father, through the adoption, through faith in Jesus Christ. And He is Almighty. Our lives ought to represent that fact to be true. I don't have time. 
But I'd encourage you to go and read Isaiah chapter 40. Go read Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 9, and just consider the almighty nature of our God. There's no one like Him. There's no one but Him uh, who reigns over all and in all and through all. Read Isaiah 40, verse 9 and on, and consider by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I pray that we would respond accordingly in worship, in submission, in asking, seeking, knocking, in trusting, in following, in obeying this God who has revealed Himself in this way. And if you have yet to realize who, that this is who God is and that He's revealed Himself most clearly in His Son Jesus who left heaven, came to earth, lived the life that you and I couldn't live, a sinless life, and willingly gave up His life on the cross, died, was buried, and rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit and ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. God the Father has revealed Himself in God the Son to make a way for you to call on Him as your Father. Simply repent of your sins. Believe in Him. Draw near to Him. Believe not only that He exists, but believe in Him. And He'll save you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us as Your sons and Your daughters this very day respond as we ought to respond to the one true and living God who's become our Father through faith in Jesus and is almighty to do everything you want, to do everything that you have said, that we would respond in praise and worship and glory, not only in song as we do now together in one voice, but as we leave this place, we go out to walk by faith, as we go out to be obedient to you, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. We have asked, we have sought, we're knocking, asking for the help of your Holy Spirit to help us praise you when we are lacking, when we're in need, when we're weary, when we're tired, when we need help. Lord, we're asking for that help even now to stand and sing your praise and to go out to be the church in the world. Help us. And we know that you will. And you'll do even abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. For you are the Father of heavenly lights from whom all good things come from. And we pray and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.